Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 10 of the JewishBoston.com podcast. We are really excited to have Barnett Kessel talk to us about the history of the Vilna Shul, uh, what the Vilna Shul is up to now, what it used to be, a little bit about his history and how he became the executive director of the Vilna Shul. I'm again without Jen this week, but I had Harris again, and we have a great time. And you will hear Jen very, very soon as we have some really interesting episodes coming up. So again, please subscribe on iTunes or on SoundCloud. And uh, my offer to read emails that are sent to us at podcast at jewishboston.com is still valid. So please do that. And maybe you'll hear your, hear your letter or email in this case on the air. So enjoy and to the theme song. Everybody, I am here with Harris Rollinger. Say hello, Harris. Hello. And I'm here with Barnett Kessel, the executive director of the Vilna Shul. Is that the correct title? Perfect. All right. Today's episode is really going to be talking with Barnett about the Vilna Shul, its history, what it does now, and what you as listeners can do to get involved with the Vilna Shul. So I'm going to hand it. O- I'm going to hand it over to Barnett now, who's wearing a wonderful bow tie for our for our viewers out there who can't see it, which is there, which was all of you. It is a fantastic tie. Not tie, bow tie. Thank you, Harris. You know, I wanted to make sure that I looked the best I could for the podcast because you never get a chance to make a second visual impression of the podcast. It's true. Uh, so uh, it's uh, it's wonderful to be here. Uh, you know, the Vilma Schull Boston Center for Jewish Culture as a physical space represents the oldest Jewish space left in the city of Boston. If you go back to history in the old West End neighborhood, there were over 20 synagogues in just a four-acre little parcel of land, not to mention some of the other Jewish institutions, and this is the last one left of those over 20. And if you look at the larger city itself, there were over 54 synagogues, depending on the expert you ask, 50, 54. There's someone that calls themselves an expert and says like 75, but let's play sort of like the Olympics and we'll throw out the top score and the bottom score and let's stick with like 54. (laughs) So there were 54 synagogues from this immigrant error time period in the city and they're all gone except for the building that, that, that I go to every day. Everything else has been either knocked down, burned down, turned into a theater, church, apartment, condos, office, you get it. And today... Uh, we try to fill the space with interesting, exciting, vibrant programming. We we like to think that we are the only Jewish cultural center that has a physical presence in the city of Boston. And to do that in the oldest Jewish building in the city of Boston is pretty cool. Well, as a historian by trade, let me ask you a specific question. Is When was the original building built? Great question. So the original building was built in 1919. The cornerstone on the building says 1919. Um, we know for a fact that it technically was finished in 1920, but um, if you want to give me all the way back to 1919, I'll take it, 90, 97 years. I guess the, the 1919 was like the groundbreaking, I guess? 
So that, yeah. that's fine. Yeah. I, feel, I feel like that counts. That uh, absolutely counts. Yeah. 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 I mean, technically, the the congregation that was in the space that built the space specifically for themselves goes all the way back to 1893. Wow. Uh, and sort of went the way of all of the sort of Jewishness that was in the old West End, and everyone moved out to nicer environs, and the the Jewishness of the West End was sort of vacated, and then of course the West End itself was was vacated and leveled for the uh, for the sake of urban renewal. And we often think that because we're on the the Beacon Hill side of Cambridge Street, you know, sort of one block up the hill from Cambridge Street, back then it was all considered the West End. So Today we think we're on the right side, the correct side of Cambridge Street, because if we were on the other side of Cambridge Street, I probably would still be manufacturing uh, bed frames and baby cribs. You, you would have a very small uh, probably picture in the uh, the very tiny but very nice West End Museum that exists now that I've been to. The people, the volunteer, the, the one volunteer there is very happy to see anybody. So <laughs> you, everyone should check that out after they go see the Vilna Shul. So you mentioned a little bit about the manufacturing job just then that you used to do, and you have a really interesting story to tell, and would love our listeners to be able to get a have a listen as to as to what your story is. Well, we'll let them judge if it's uh, interesting <laughs> or not. Uh, to your point about the West End Museum, you know, our building also acts a lot like a museum, and we have a lot of history to tell, both of the congregation that was in the building, what, what uh, the neighborhood was like, and the building has some fascinating history. Uh, one item being we're the only remaining Jewish space that has multiple hand-painted folk art murals one cool. painted over the other painted over the other we have three layers of of completely different beautiful hand-painted art murals um, and we have done some work to sort of reveal and excavate some of it so um, Harris getting back to to your question I was a I, I, I say this all the time a raging capitalist for like 20 24 years, uh, I uh, had a manufacturing business that my great-grandfather started about four blocks from the Vilna Shoal. He lived when he moved to the to the old West End when he arrived in, Massa- in Massachusetts and in Boston, uh, lived about uh, about two or three blocks from where the Vilna Shoal uh, stands today. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have this, let's call it unique, please don't call it awkward. I have a unique <laughs> connection to the West End. So for me, it really feels like in, in a way I've, I've come back to where my great grandfather started, sort of our whole family paternal history. And so in addition to your story, you mentioned that the Vilda Shul is in its 97th year, um, which means there's only three years until the 100th anniversary. Do you have any big things planned or have you guys have started having conversations as to how you want to ring in 100 years with the Vilna? I feel like I feel like a magician and I need to tell the audience that you and I have never met, and I've never paid you to say these fantastic questions, and I'm about to saw you in it's half. very true. It's true. Uh, again, another uh, visual gag that people can't see, but it was amazing. <laughs> Cut hair's right in half. And he's still in half. So to be perfectly blunt, our plan for our 100th anniversary is to unveil a fully restored and modern infrastructured building and the two of you both have your mouths open because we didn't talk about this before we turned on the play button Uh, but but we endeavor for the 100th anniversary to have a building that is 
number one, fully restored, number two, extremely comfortable for creature comforts and also the comforts for traveling and temporary exhibits, and probably the most important thing, to have the building universally accessible so that every single human being who wants to come into our beautiful space and enjoy our programming and see the building can get in the building, can get upstairs and see the sanctuary space and also have a place to brush their hair. That's fantastic. And are there, from your perspective as someone who gets to go to this building every day, what components or specific um, items or whether it's a painting, a mural, um, a piece of furniture, what to you is one of the most, some, what are some of the most interesting things in the Vilna that regardless of how many years go by and renovations happen that you will want to see preserved as part of the space? The more we talk, the more I feel like a magician. Um, there's a few things. I, every time we have programming, every time the organization acts like the convener of community and the cultural arts and culture center, I sit back and I think to myself, this place was almost lost to history. This place was almost turned into a parking garage. And the fact that A, it's alive, and B, we're having music, film, lectures, speakers, uh, that to me is fascinating. The fact that people are sitting in pews that go back to the middle of the 19th century, the 1840s, back to the 12th Baptist Church, which was down the street, that uh, soldiers that fought for the 54th Volunteer Regiment, the Massachusetts Civil War Regiment that was populated exclusively by African Americans. You guys have seen the movie Glory with Denzel Washington, so that was, and of course, the Shaw Monument. So most of those soldiers lived in the old West End, lived in the old uh, North Slope of Beacon Hill in particular, and the pews from that church reside in the Vilma Shoal. So you could be sitting uh, enjoying programming at the Vilna Shoal, uh, modern music or, or something like that, listening to an author talk about his or her new book, and you're sitting in pews that Civil War soldiers, freed slaves sat in, runaway slaves. Add to that the layer of the Jewish immigrant community that populated the West End. Uh, you know, you're in some interesting, fascinating, if you don't mind me say, company that sat in that pew before you. And to, again, to kind of bring it back around, to, to be a modern organization, a destination for culture and art uh, in Boston, but to have that history that people don't look at through glass or, or smell across a a plastic chain to be actually in it uh to me that's that's like the craziest thing that's fantastic and d in in the years that you've been working at the vilna has there been a specific program or a night that stands out to you as one of your favorites i'm sure you, you have a bunch but um even recently has there been one that's really stood out to you as one where you kind of sit back and think wow this is pretty incredible um I know we're in the political season, so I'm going to try to answer your question with, like, one answer, but I might totally not fine. be able to. So if you give me a little slack, I would be grateful. One of the most meaningful, so two extremely meaningful experiences were, one, a woman got married last summer in the building. She's a descendant. Her great-great-grandmother is on a plaque 
in the old women's section. Um, we connected with her and brought her family in for a Descendants Day program. She had no idea that her family history ran through the West End. And she was sitting in the program with her mom. She was engaged at the time, and she elbows her mom, and she says, Mom, it's got to happen here. Mom says, well, what are you talking about? i got to get married at the Vilna. She says, uh, no, you don't. We have deposits at this place and that place that will remain nameless and shameless and faceless. Mom, whatever it takes, I have to be here. This is where, you know, this is where my great-grandmother was. This is where your grandmother was. And sure enough, we did it, and it was, it was fantastic. So, so rich. And then we had a double baby naming two girls whose great, great, great grandmother is on a plaque from 1907 before the building was ever built. She was involved when the congregation acquired their first building, that 12th Baptist Church that I was telling you about. So for, for all of that time and all of that history to come back in that same space, to me, it was like, I don't want to get paid this week. This is, this is exactly why I took the job. Just last week, we had a fascinating program with a flight crew from El Al. El Al does this interesting ambassadors program where they uh, sort of introduce to the city that they have nonstop service with. And we know, of course, that it's wonderful that they're back in Boston with nonstop service. So they uh, deliver a flight crew to some cultural institution, um, and they have a program, whether it's um, uh, a Q&A or a more intimate experience. And we had um, really two, two fairly intimate experiences with them, and not intimate like that, Harris, so clean it up. Um, and it was just fascinating to hear three men and three women, um, some who have been all employees in the air for three years and 13 years. And some of the things culturally, some of the things sort of as the National Airline of Israel, uh, some of the funny things, some of the more uh, somber in a proud sort of Zionistic way. And that stuff just, that gets my engine going. 100 RPMs, 100,000 RPMs. Those are all amazing. I want to, for listeners who maybe haven't even seen the front of the building. I want to sort of take people through sort of how the building is in the inside because it's 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 rare that at least um, again I'm from Oklahoma so everything <laughs> the history of the state goes back to the founding of the village like yeah, Oklahoma was founded as a state in 1919 so a lot of things building wise that exist when I was growing up were relatively new so you come to say like Boston everything is so old it's amazingly old and the first time I went to the Vilna, it, one, it surprised me that the sanctuary is on the second floor. Like, I knew there were probably reasons for that, but I don't know what they are. Maybe you can tell us. The, and this is sort of to lead to sort of the history of the building of when it was originally an Orthodox synagogue, and then it sort of fell out of use and then was revitalized. We'll get to that part. But uh, sort of give people sort of like a, a, a word-based walking that, tour know. of the building. Whether you come for a program for young adults, post-collegiate, 20s and 30s, whether you come as a young family and experience programming like that, or if you're someone that lives downtown or even the suburbs and just want to come for vibrant programming, the walking tour that you get by just coming into the building, experiencing registration, 
going further back into our community room for an experience or going upstairs to the former sanctuary space for an experience. It's like a walking tour every time you walk in, not to mention the thousands of tourists that come through the building just for that, to just see, you know, just to get a walking tour of the building. Uh, so it's interesting. The building sits on a plot of land that's like a capital L. It's, uh, it was three storefronts, three tenement houses, and then sort of the 90-degree right turn that makes the bottom of the L or the top of the L, depending on yeah. your perspective. Yeah. Um, uh, was like a yeah, stable, yeah. Uh, a horse stable. And so the downstairs sort of resembles a lowercase l. And uh, we've got this beautiful, about 300 square foot plaza deck. So the building is set back about about 12 feet from the sidewalk. And it's three steps up and surrounded by this beautiful black wrought iron ornamental fence is an open space that's sort of hard to come by in Beacon Hill. And then a set of double doors with a beautiful uh, stained glass window of a mugging David and written in Hebrew letters from right to left over the doors spells out the English words Vilner congregation, which is sort of the opposite way we're used to transliteration. And so that to me is just a, uh, I get more than a giggle every time I walk walk in the building. Once you get in the building, we have a, a beautiful small foyer. And then further back is what we call a community room. Back then they used it uh, also sort of as a community room for meeting space, social hall, uh, chapel at times when the when the population was running out of the, out of the city. And then upstairs, the sanctuary space resembles the capital L that I was telling you about. And it was an Orthodox synagogue, so there's a women's gallery and a men's gallery um, off to the side. It's interesting. Uh, Not that I've been around so many places, and you can tell by the way I look, I can't be that old to be around for so long. But um, Orthodox synagogues that I have seen from around this time period and even before, the amount of seating that's in the former women's gallery is just about as much as the seating in the men's gallery, which is an outrage. I mean, it's so um, so fantastic that there was that much capacity for women. And then the physical location, that it's on the same level, that the women were not relegated to an awful balcony with a sliver of space or to sit just right behind the dudes. Uh, this is... And there's a whole lot of history that I will force you to come and hear me talk to you uh, in the space and all of the listeners to come. It would be, it'd be wonderful to get an opportunity to show people with their, with their own eyes. Seeing sort of any older synagogue, whether it's Orthodox Reform or Conservative, it's always interesting to look at how the room is set up and compare that to what is happening now because it's almost like circular where in, in my Reformed congregation growing up, there was a raised bima where you were, you were looking up at the rabbi and cantor and they were performing at you, which is the kind of service I prefer, but not everyone likes that. The the new rabbis at my at my temple uh, until some moved the where they stand from back down to the ground so they can be with the people and make it more um, sort of interactive. And a lot of Orthodox setups are mm-hmm. very close. Like the Vilna Shul has a little more space than some Orthodox shuls I've seen in like New York or in Israel. There's definitely the sense of it's not a one-person like everyone in the audience is going to be facing one direction and the person, you know, on the bima or reading the Torah is only looking at one, at one place. It's like, it's, it's almost, it's either half circular or circular in the sense. That, that's always fascinating from a sort of how the service is going to be handled sort of way. I love 
to see people. We have this elevated BIMA that obviously that's where the services were were produced from, right? And they were all sort of facing the arc. There wasn't this this drama where the stage is is facing the the audience. But to have a eight piece Sephardi Ladino band men and women, the woman from Afghanistan, and playing on the center bima to a fairly packed building with people sitting in the men's, the former men's gallery and the former women's section, and to think of like what it was, what it is today, and how it all could have been never happened. It all could have, I know that's not proper English, but just by luck, we saved the building uh, or other people save the building, and we're able to we're able to enjoy the space in a modern way. Like it's not just, and I'm going to get railed at, but it's not just a synagogue. It really isn't a synagogue at all. But to be in that space that was a synagogue that was so important to that immigrant community's daily life, and to be able to build something in Boston that Boston can be proud of that is sort of a singular address in downtown for Jewish life for everyone. It's not just, we don't do only Jewish. Uh, whether you're a tourist, whether you're coming for the young adult hover on the hill programs, whether you're downtown young family, coming to our scotch and schmooze, like uh, it's not an exclusive thing. So to have this Jewish home for culture for everyone that's downtown that was a synagogue there's just there's so much going on it it reminds me of like a $800 bottle of wine that like you sip it and you just you're not supposed to have another sip for another 14 minutes while you just like enjoy all the things that happen to your body is that going to make it into oh yeah that's that's making it when did it when did it stop being um a synagogue slash shul and then what happened after that 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 leads us to to now, I guess. Sure, sure. So when it was first built, there were like 40,000 Jews in that neighborhood. Uh, 40 years before, there was basically less than 100. And then fast forward to like the 1940s, uh, that 40,000 was down to like 25,000. And by the 50s and 60s, there's barely anyone left. And the building is just not being used and falls into disrepair. By the 70s and 80s, there's barely a handful of congregants. And if you are watching on TV, you'll see that I have the air quotes up. Uh, And in the early 80s, there's basically just one congregant, and he's using it for his own personal uh, storage of of furniture that he's not using in some of his rooming houses and apartments that he owns in the neighborhood. And the story goes, in 1985, he locks the front door, walks out, locks the gate behind him, and gets mugged right on Phillips Street and says, I'm going to sell the building. Well, he can't technically sell the building because it's owned by the corporation that is the congregation that really isn't in its existence. And then that starts 10 years that reads sort of like a romance novel and a legal eagle movie with a little bit of sitcom rolled into it. But it's basically 10 years of legal wrangling. I'm glad to say that the, the four people who knew the historic significance of the building prevented him from trying to sell the building, which is what he wanted to do. And it was that original four group that became sort of a dozen and legally incorporated in 91. And in 1995, they were able to buy the building, which at that time was 
a complete disaster. It was basically condemned, roof leaking. That's great. I mean, it's broken. It's funny in a city that no declares. I mean, there, 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 there's, <laughs> there's an apartment building right across from where I live that has a plaque on it because it's where Aerosmith lived when they went to college. So it it amazes me that it it, it it was possible for this building to have been you know, sold at one point. Like everything else in Boston, like they slam a plaque on it, it becomes a historical marker, and that's what's great about about Boston is that you can randomly walk down a street and it turns left for no reason, and then you're in some sort of historical park. Um, uh, so the the Vilna Shul now, as you guys um, title it, because it's the Vilna Shul, comma, the whatever, yes. There it is. Uh, so you guys, you are not a, a synagogue at the moment you, at all. Now you are you are a cultural center, but you have you have religious activities inside, but you also have all these other cultural things. And so I I would like I would you know I would hope our listeners want to know some of those upcoming things. And so two of your uh, employees are also the former coworkers of mine. So we we exchange emails from time to time. So I know that you have a very large project coming up in December called the Hanukkah on the Hill. We'd like to fill us out on what that what, what that's about and what you're trying to accomplish with that. So we are uh, we endeavor to break the Guinness Book of World Records for number of Hanukkiahs, number of uh, Hanukkah menorahs lit in one spot, and the record is held by some town in New Jersey. Yeah, it's in New Jersey. I, didn't I was thinking the same thing, Jesse. Yeah. I didn't say it. I just want everyone to understand that was not my sigh. <laughs> um, and we're going to um, we're going to break the record, and we're going to close down our section of Phillips Street, and we're inviting people to build new menorahs, bring us old menorahs, Hanukkah, and be part of this wonderful experience. And we're getting involved with synagogue religious schools, we're getting involved with day schools, we're getting involved in uh, some public schools, again, bringing in people that aren't necessarily Jewish, but are interested in the holiday, interested in uh, interested in our event and trying to break the record. Like, who doesn't want to break a record? What, what's a, what, what is currently the record? Somewhere close to a thousand, which it's doable. Yeah. It's doable. Yeah. You know, are you guys, are you on pace now? I'd rather not say you're not cleared. <laughs> you're not cleared for that information. You we see, we you are. see 500 people holding two Hanukkahs together. I think, yeah. And and so I'm, and now I'm thinking about how do you operationalize this? But, I mean, is everybody going to get matches? Everyone going to get, how mm. are they lighting this? Is there a designated lighter where someone is just like running around? Um, flamethrower, perhaps? Or that a flamethrower. That was my personal yeah, uh, favorite. Like, no, so it's very it's exciting. Like, we're hope, uh, uh, you know, we're, we've been incorporated into the first night official festivities and we'll be on the list and 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 once they start uh, marketing and telling people about everything that's going on we'll be there and we're also working uh uh on our own with with friends and and partner organizations and institutions to start uh you know collecting not exactly like two by two like noah but like you know dozens at a time and uh and we already have a significant inventory, which makes me sound like I'm uh, trying to be evasive. But I, come I'm, to the building. Yes. I'll show them to you. Well, thank you so much. For yeah, this, this was great. This was great. This was great. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. Um, so, again, uh, why don't you give the address in case people listening are actually walking by there? So the 18 Phillips Street is yeah. just one block up from, uh, from Cambridge Street. Our address, uh, our virtual address is vilnashul.org. 
and uh, it'd be wonderful to have people come for a tour or a program. Our uh, our fall schedule is on our website, www.filmashole.org backslash events. Um, and as corny as it sounds, there really is something for everyone to to plug into, engage. Uh, we we often refer to ourselves as a place for everyone to connect with Jewish culture, and I'd love for people to come and and experience that very thing for themselves. I agree with that assessment. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Pleasure. Pleasure's mine. you all enjoyed that interview with Barnett as much as Harris and I did. It was really, really fascinating. I want to give a shout out to Sean Fogel for our music. Barnett wanted to mention him, but we did. We weren't able to record that part. So Sean, if you're listening, everyone loves your music. Uh, I want to thank uh, Combined Jewish Philanthropies and their young adult initiative team. And of course, Jewish Boston for helping making this podcast possible. So again, as I'll say every time, until more of you do it, uh, please subscribe on iTunes or on SoundCloud and send us an email at podcast at jewishboston.com or a tweet or a Facebook message, however you want to communicate with us. So thank you for listening and don't forget to check out jewishboston.com for the newest events and interesting articles that we have. And uh, as we like to say at the end of the episode, shalom.